And again, good morning to you. I'd like to thank all of you for being with us today, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, we're so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. We, we uh, want to welcome you here and hope you feel um, a sense of belonging and, uh, and love from us. And um, we've been, we actually started a series last week, but for some reason on New Year's Day, it wasn't such a great turnout. And so <laughs> I'm going to recap a little bit of uh, what we covered last week uh, for those of you who weren't here. And um, I'd like to ask, and I think I asked this last week, what do you do when you find someone that you want to get closer to, but they don't want the same thing? And this happens to us in relationships, and it can be difficult. For example, you might have a friend, maybe it's a longtime friend, and you get to a point where you want the relationship to become more than a friendship, and maybe they don't. <laughs> and so <clears throat> and you express that you want, to, you want to become more than friends with this person, and they express to you that uh, they're just fine with the way things are, and that can be kind of awkward and difficult and even painful for some people. Maybe you've been um, <clears throat> in, a, in a dating relationship. And you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you were together a while, and you, and you eventually fell in love with that person and had these deep, intense you know, feelings towards this person, and you, you had to express it to them. You got to the point where you had to tell them, and you knew it would be risky because you never said those words before. And you finally get up the courage to say, I love you. And they're like, oh, oh, and I love being with you, or... <laughs> That's nice, or, you know, whatever. They don't return the words to you. Some of you I know have experienced this. I know how hard that it can be because you've told me, and I'm so sorry for you. That's difficult, right? They're just not ready to take the relationship there. Maybe you've experienced this with a parent. That's even worse, isn't it? Maybe you had a father who was distant or a mom that you, you really wanted to have a deep relationship with, and, and she just didn't know how to do that, or she just didn't seem interested and having that kind of relationship with you growing up. Well, you know, last week I mentioned the famous song by Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle. It talks about this father who, he, you know, he had this child and, and growing up he was, he was just very busy and he had his priorities kind of set. And, you know, as the child grew, he missed most of the time. He missed the first time they walked and the first time they talked. And, you know, he talks about this in the song and... and the child, as they, as this, this, his son, as he grows, he's getting older, he wants to spend time with his dad. Dad, teach me how to play catch. Teach me how to do this. And, and the dad's always like, you know, son, I don't have time, but maybe next, you know, maybe soon. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it soon. And it never happens. And the son, before he knows it, his son is gone. And then he, his son visits from college, and he's finally ready to spend time with his son, and the roles have reversed. The son now doesn't have time for his dad. And the song ends with the dad being retired, and he calls his son up, and wants to spend time with him, and the son's like, I'm sorry, I just don't have time. And he realizes when his son hangs up the phone that it, his son has become just like him. It's, it's just such a sad but real uh, story about many people, the relationships with their parent. And what if, it's a, what if it's a spouse? You know, every marriage starts out wonderful, doesn't it? Everyone, everyone's marriage, for the most part, starts out great. You're so in love, and you just can't wait to spend the rest of your life together. But then reality kind of sets in. And it's possible in marriage to lose something that you once had. A wife can lose her sense of security in a marriage. A husband can lose his affection for his wife. A wife can lose her sense of wonder and excitement in the relationship. A husband can lose his sense of loyalty to his wife. All of those things can be lost. And if there's children in the, in the marriage, in the, in the family, all of this makes children very afraid. The kids see this and it makes them 
afraid and anxious. <clears throat> but that can all change. All it takes is for one or the other to go looking for what was lost. If just one husband wants his marriage to be great and wants it to be better than it's ever been, wants it to be a, you know, a meaningful, lasting, you know, passionate relationship, all he has to do is search for what, what, what has become lost. But the wife has to want to be found again. And the same is true if the roles were reversed. The, the, both spouses have to want the same thing. And if the wife doesn't want that, or if the husband doesn't want that, what then? Marriages sometimes end because one spouse doesn't want to go deeper. And doesn't want to get any closer. And I think that it must be one of the hardest things a person can go through in this life. Now, last week, we're in this series called Closer. The series is called Closer, and it's about what it would take for us as, as mere human beings to get closer to the God of the universe. How can we get closer to God? If there's one thing that I hope we as a church desire more than anything else, if there was one thing we set, we set forward as our goal for 2017, I would hope it is that we want to be closer to God. We want to be closer. We want to be in His presence. And for His presence to change us from the inside out. And some of us, though, have felt like God doesn't want to get any closer to us. Maybe He doesn't want that. I've felt that way in my life. Maybe it's because of your past. It could be because of who you are now. Maybe it's because you've believed a lie, but... Whatever the reason, I can promise you that this is not a problem for God. It's a problem for us. We're the ones that, don't, that struggle with getting closer to God. God does not have a problem with this relationship. God is the one who wants to go deeper. God is the one who wants to get closer. God is the one who's ready to take the relationship to the next level. We're the ones who are way too easily pleased. We're the ones who are fine keeping God at a distance. And in the Bible, we're told over and over and over again that God is constantly searching for us. He never stops. He's all, he knows us from the inside out. He knows everything about us, and he wants to know more, and he wants us to know him. We are the ones who have lost our hunger. And throughout the scriptures, we hear that, that God wants this relationship with us. He wants to be near you. He desires you. He wants to pull you in close. He's not a distant, impersonal God. He's not the kind of God who is satisfied with seeing you on holidays or even certain days of the week. He's not interested in keeping accounts with you. He's not interested in keeping things casual. He's not interested in uh, just being there for you when you need him the most or when you find yourself in some kind of trouble. God is not satisfied with our respect. He's not satisfied when we keep things casual. He wants a close, personal, intimate relationship with you and nothing less. And last week we talked about what might be the biggest obstacle that is keeping us from getting closer to God. And that obstacle is indifference. Indifference. Many people today are active members of a church and maybe even very involved in the life of the church, the problem is that they're not on fire for God. They do not have this intense desire to be closer to God. And because they have this kind of lukewarm, casual, 
attitude towards God, we're told in the book of Revelation, actually, that um, people who are indifferent to God make Jesus nauseous. If they have a lukewarm attitude towards God, Jesus would prefer to spit them out of his mouth. He would rather they were hot or cold than to be lukewarm. In Revelation chapter 3, we looked at last week, Jesus does not condemn these Christians for their wicked deeds or for their lack of faith or even their wrong beliefs. He condemns them for their indifference. They're indifferent to God. They've lost their zeal. And while indifference is the symptom, there's actually a deeper problem. There's a deeper problem at the root in their heart. And the problem is they think that they're fine. They think that they're okay with God. They think, you know, I'm good with God. He's good with me. You know, I pray to prayer. I go to church. You know, I serve. I don't do really bad things. I've changed. I've turned my life around. I'm a good person. Whatever. And so they think it's okay. with God is okay with the way things are, and I'm okay with him. And Jesus says, on the contrary, you are poor, wretched, blind, and naked. You don't even realize what you've lost. You don't even realize what's at stake. They know, these are people who know the gospel. They know the truth. They probably believe in Jesus. But they aren't wrecked by the gospel. They aren't thankful for the gospel every single day. They aren't moved by the gospel. They aren't seeking God with their whole heart. Something's missing. And in spite of this, Jesus Christ, we're told in Revelation 3, he stands at the door and knocks. He stands at the door and he's knocking. He's saying to us, get close to me. Be zealous and repent. Open the door. Let me in. Let me into your life. Let me be close to you. Let me, let me draw you close to me. And we see Jesus in grace seeking people who are indifferent to him. People who've lost their passion and enthusiasm for worshiping God. And, and here's Jesus. He's knocking on the door. He's ready to change us. He's giving us another chance at the relationship. No matter what condition we've let it you know, come to. He's just waiting to turn our indifference into passionate worship. Because even when we stop seeking God, God keeps seeking us. Isn't that amazing? God is never indifferent to us. And so that's, that is what we talked about last week. Indifference. How can we overcome indifference? Today I'd like to introduce you to another obstacle that we face as we seek to get closer to God in, in a relationship, a personal relationship. And that obstacle is busyness. Busyness. And I hear people tell me all the time how busy they are. Right? We actually talked about this not that long ago. And the truth is, you'll never get closer to God if you're too busy, right? But, but what does it mean to be too busy? And here's the thing. When you get really busy, the first thing that always seems to get lost is the quality time that you spend with God. Isn't that true? Why is that? It's, I can tell you, it's not a scheduling problem. It's not a planning problem. It's a heart problem. This is a heart problem. It's always a heart issue. That's why we started with indifference. Because if you're indifferent towards God, meaning you are, you are fine with God, right? And you, you don't think you desperately need God's presence in your life, 
If that's true of you, you will not make time with God a priority in your life. That's a fact. And in the Gospels, and we're going to look at a couple passages in the Gospels today, and these are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, we get to see and hear about the real Jesus. These are historical eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. How he lived, what he said, what his priorities were. And one of the best things about the details of Jesus' life, as recorded in the Gospels, is that we get to see how Jesus got closer to God. And that might sound strange to you. Jesus needed to get close to God? I thought Jesus was God. Isn't that what we believe? Why would Jesus need to get closer to God if he is God? (laughs) Have you thought about that before? Now, Jesus, of course, is God the Son. He is God who who took on flesh. That is Jesus. He is the God-man. And while he was on earth... The Bible says that he emptied himself of his, or he laid aside his status and privilege as the creator of the universe. And that doesn't mean that he stopped being God while he was on earth. What it means is that he laid aside his privilege and status as God, and instead he became a servant. He became a mere human being in order to sympathize with us. That's what we're told. Jesus had to become like us as a human being. He was fully human and fully God at the same time. That's a complete mystery to us. (laughs) It's very hard to explain. I'm not even really going to try to explain it to you this morning. But this is what we're told about the person of Jesus. He held both of those things in balance, in perfect balance. Fully human, fully God. I don't know how that's possible, but I do know he was fully human. And if he was fully human... That means that he became weak. He became vulnerable. He got sick, just like we do. He became tired and hungry and stressed out at times. He felt the weight of sin and temptation. He was tempted, just like we are, and yet he never sinned. He was bombarded with all kinds of temptations and and needs and demands from all kinds of people. He felt the full range of human emotion. He could feel alone. He could feel sorrow and anger and stress and joy and loss. And so here's Jesus, fully God, fully human at the same time. And at the end of the day, he experienced what it's like to feel the weight of the world on his back. And just like us, because he was fully human, just like us, he needed to get close to Father God. Just like we do. He, he is our example. So my question is, what did Jesus do when he got busy? When Jesus was overwhelmed with busyness and demands, what did he do? Let's look together. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1 to begin with, in verse, beginning in verse 32. And one thing I love about the Gospel of Mark, this was the first Gospel that was written about Jesus' life. Mark was the earliest one. And he doesn't tell us anything about Jesus' birth. <laughs> he doesn't tell us a lot of things the other Gospel writers do. He, Mark is the most fast-paced of all the Gospels. He jumps right into Jesus' early ministry, and he gives us a sense of the pace of Jesus' life. In fact, in chapter 1 alone, the word immediately pops up eight different times, and we see it all the time throughout all of Mark's Gospel. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Like Jesus was just, as soon as he was done healing one person, he immediately went over here and did this, and then he immediately went over. And this was Jesus' life. 
And so here we read in verse, all of us, I mean, already in verse 32 of chapter 1, here's what happens. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, that's, you know, people, tons of people, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city, the whole city of Capernaum, was gathered together at the door. And this is presumably the door of Peter's house where they were. And I, I just, just like to pause there and ask if you could just put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute. And you're, at, you're in Peter's house. You're just spending time together as a group of friends or disciples. You know, it's Jesus and his disciples. And so they're, they're in close quarters. And all of a sudden you hear all this commotion outside. And I can just imagine Jesus saying, what's all that noise? And Peter looks out the door. He's like, oh, that's everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone in the city is outside. Well, what do they want? Well, all the demon, all the sick people and demon-possessed people want your help. <laughs> and here Jesus, if we you know, look before this, he's already had a very busy and full day. And if it were you, I wonder if you would like to spend your evening tonight exclusively with sick people and demon-possessed people. How does that sound to you? No thank you, right? And here, I guess they couldn't get near to Jesus during the day, so here they all are, standing outside the door. And in verse 34 it says, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew about his true identity. So he spends all day and all night with sick and demon-possessed people. And then we read this, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. It just never stops. Jesus, he... He spent an entire day, and this was not a unique day. This was Jesus' life. This is how he spent every day with people who had needs. Spending himself on people who had needs. He wakes up early while it's still dark. He had a cup of coffee. Actually, that's not in the text, but you had to read between the lines sometimes. And he went out to a desolate place. In other words, he leaves the city, and he walks out into... A desolate place, a desert or wilderness. This would have been a little bit of a walk. And that means from the time Jesus woke up and walked out to the desert and began praying to the time the disciples woke up and realized he wasn't in the house and went out looking for him and finally found him, probably a good two hours or more had passed. This wasn't a 15-minute devotional time for Jesus. This was probably hours of prayer and getting close to his Father. And if you think Jesus needed to spend time with God in prayer... Think about you and me. And this was not a one and done for Jesus. This was a habit. In Mark chapter 6, Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples were so busy taking care of people that they didn't even have time to eat. That's what he tells us. They didn't even have time to eat all day. And they go out to a desolate place led by Jesus to be by themselves, still haven't had eaten, they still haven't eaten anything yet, and crowd the crowds from all the towns around recognize them and track them down. And Jesus, instead of sighing, you know, or complaining, or taking, you know, saying, I need a break, can you get rid of these people? Instead, he has compassion on them. And he teaches them all day about what God is really like, because that's what Jesus did. 
And he begins healing them and casting out demons again because that's what he does. And he performs his greatest miracle to date. He feeds thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And when he's done, when he's done, this is what we read in Mark chapter 6. Immediately, there's that word again, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the lake, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Now here's the question. How did Jesus respond during a time in his life when he was extremely popular, extremely busy, extremely successful and productive, a time in his life when the most opportunity was presenting itself to him, when he's in high demand everywhere he goes. I mean, think of it. He's in the prime of his life. Everywhere he goes, people are clinging to him. He could have healed. This is the thing. He could have healed more people and taught more people and done more miracles if that was his priority in life, but it wasn't. Listen to what Luke says in his gospel in chapter 5. It says, he says, But now even more the report about him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was a habit. I would imagine Jesus did this every day. You see, when you and I enter a season of busyness, and opportunity, and productivity, you know, when we're hitting our stride, when we're getting the most done, when the most demands are on us, maybe it's a time of life when you're dreaming the biggest dreams, and and you're finding yourself kind of pulled in all kinds of different directions. Maybe you're even stressed out. Quality prayer time with God gets squeezed out of our schedule, doesn't it? Isn't that what happens? Isn't that kind of how we operate? And yet the busier Jesus gets, the more determined he is to spend long periods of time in prayer with his Father. Connecting with his Father. Talking to his Father. Listening to his Father. Getting close to his Father. Because no matter what was going on in Jesus' life, He he never let the expectations of other people get in the way of his relationship with his father. He never let the expectations and demands of other people get in the way of his quality time with his father. His relationship with God was the most important thing in his life. Is it the most important thing to you? You know, if we could record your life for a week and then show it to a group of strangers... What would they say is the most important thing to you? Think about that for a minute. That's a tough question to ponder, isn't it? Because here's what happens. We think that if we slow down, we're going to miss out on some great opportunity. You know, whether, whether that means more income or more success or more productivity, and we might even believe that if we don't take every opportunity that comes our way, and if we don't seize this moment in time, We'll never get it back. Don't we, don't we think that way sometimes? And when we're super busy in life, we feel important and we feel needed and wanted. We feel successful. 
But, but I'm going to just tell you the obvious, okay? The day is going to come when you aren't going to be busy anymore. Did you know that? The day is coming, my friends, when the next big, big thing on your calendar is lunch. If you live long enough, it's coming. Or maybe the next big thing in your calendar is a nurse coming to take your blood pressure. Or a game of bingo with the other residents on your floor. And I'm not making fun of that lifestyle because I may be living it someday. I don't know. But one thing I do know is this. I do not want to wait until I have all the time in the world to start getting closer to my father. Do you know why? Because if that happens, I'm going to be filled with regret. I'm going to be so full of regret, I'll only look back on this you know, busy season of my life and wish I would have made quiet time with God in prayer the first priority of my day every single day. And I don't want to miss out on God showing himself to me now. Why miss out on more life now? I mean, that's where true life comes from. Inner life. The kind of life that springs out from your innermost being. The kind of life that fills you, that satisfies you, the kind of life that goes on forever, that's what comes from time with God. You can't find that anywhere else. I don't want to miss that. I mean, talk about missed opportunities. Jesus prioritized his time with his Father over people, over demands, over expectations, over success, over ministry. And do you know why? Because it's during those times that God feeds us. And it's during those times that God speaks to us. It's during those times that God gives us clarity and power when we're confused or feeling weak. It's during those times that God can change our indifference into urgency and passion. I mean, Jesus could not live without prayer. So how can we? He couldn't live without it. Now, we don't know. We don't know what Jesus prayed in Mark chapter 1. We don't know what he prayed in Mark chapter 6. We don't know what Jesus prayed most of the time, except for one time in particular. And there might have been more than one that I'm not thinking of, but there's one prayer in particular that really stands out to me that says a lot about Jesus' relationship with his Father. And it's the prayer, it's one of Jesus' last, maybe his last recorded prayer, in the Gospel of Mark, it's in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is in Gethsemane and he isolates himself from his disciples and he's, we're told he's deeply troubled, he's sorrowful unto death and he's in inner turmoil and agony. He knows that that night he's going to be betrayed and arrested and tried unfairly and he knows, what, he knows what's coming in the next 24 hours. And he begins his prayer with the word, Father. That's how he begins his prayer. Father, which is translated into English, basically, Dad. It's a term of endearment. Dad. It's like, Dad, help me. Help me. And we, we know from that, and we learn from that, that Jesus is close to his Father. He had an intimate relationship with his Father. And when he teaches his disciples how to pray, he tells them to start with these words. Our Father. That's how he teaches us to pray. 
our Father. Now, now what does that mean? And, and here's what I think it means. And we, there's so many things we can say about prayer, right? But I think we just have to start by saying, prayer is not about us asking God for stuff. It's not even about us pouring our hearts out to God. Prayer is first and foremost about how we relate to God. It's really more about an orientation than it is about anything else. It's about how we relate to God. It's about what comes into our minds when we think about God. Do you think about God as a good, loving Father who is there for you no matter what? Who is ready to go deeper with you? Who is never going to abandon you? Who is always ready to forgive you? And who won't shame you when you come clean? Do you think about God as the kind of father who wants to spend time with you, who wants to be close to you? I wonder how many people are keeping God at a distance, who are avoiding spending time with God because they think God is distant and doesn't have time for them or has given up on them. I mean, some of you might be thinking, you know, Dave, if you, if you knew the things I've done, if you, if you knew about my past, if you knew about the choices I've made, you would understand. God doesn't want to get close to me. He doesn't want me to get closer to him. But there's no way around it. Prayer has to start with us relating to God as our true Father. We have to start with the ultimate reality that through faith in Jesus, we are God's children, His beloved children. He, because Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised again, any sinner, no matter what they've done, who puts their faith in Jesus and says, Jesus, I believe in you, you are the only way for me to have a relationship with God. If you believe that Jesus has died to forgive your sins, guess what? God looks upon you as his child. He treats you like his only son. Your sin was put on the body of Jesus and was judged on the cross. And Jesus' righteousness now covers you. God looks past your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He's ready to forgive you. He is He's there. He is near. He's waiting for us to invite him in. To talk to him like our dad. Like the best dad we've ever had. And it means that we can face any threat, any danger, any stress, any uncertainty, any doubt, any disappointment, any feelings of self-condemnation. To the degree that we know God loves us and that he's for us. And that he will never stop being our father. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So I want to challenge you this morning. Give you, I'm going to give you a really simple challenge. It's not easy, but it's really simple. I'm going to challenge you, if you're not doing this already, to start getting up early to pray. Did you hear that first part about getting up early? I know this is a challenge for some of us, right? But I honestly believe that this is the best time to do it. It's the best time to do it. And I have to say that that's my opinion because there's no Bible verse that I know of that says you must get up early to pray. <laughs> so I'm saying this on my own authority, okay, which means nothing, basically. But listen, 
I will tell you that you must be spending quality time with God every day. You can't live without it. You'll never get closer to God without this. And in my experience, early morning is the best time. In Jesus' experience, apparently, that was the best time. I mean, why wait till the end of the day when you're spent? I, I need to do this in the first part of the day. In fact, I do it before my kids. I have to do it before my kids wake up. I have to. Otherwise, it's chaos. Dads, I know you're busy. I know you work hard. I know you have so many things on your plates. But you will never regret doing this. Ever, ever, ever. My grandfather was a praying man. And I've heard his kids, which is my mom and my aunts and uncles, he had five kids. He had a demanding job. He was very involved in his church. He was extremely busy most of his life. He got up early in the morning every single day. Every day he closed the door of his den. His kids knew you, if, when that door is closed, we don't go in there. They walked in on him sometimes and you know, they saw him on his knees. This is what he did every day. It changed his kids' lives. It impacted them. And still, they talk about it today. That was the praying dad. That's how everybody knew him. Moms, I know, some of, whether you work or you stay at home, I can't imagine how much of a challenge this is going to be for you. Your kids keep you up late at night sometimes, or they're up sick, or they're up crying, and you feel like you don't give, get enough sleep as it is. But I promise you, you will not regret this. You will not regret this. Do you know what kind of influence you could have on your children if they walked in on you regularly while you were on your knees, in the Word, connecting with your Father? You can't imagine what this will do for your family, for your marriage, for your children, for their future. Kids. What kids of you are left in this, in this room right now? Teenagers, middle schoolers, wherever you are. Start doing this now. Make it a habit now. There's a lot of children in the Bible we read about who made this a habit early on. Samuel, Jeremiah, David, when they were all teenagers or younger, began doing this. And they were world changers. Empty nesters. I know you're not, you didn't, your life didn't get any busier after your kids moved out. Some, people, some of the busiest people I know don't have kids living in their house anymore. But you can't live without this. Single people, I don't want you to feel left out. <laughs> you need this. You need to start praying now, every morning, maybe while it's still dark, before you start your day, to reconnect with your Father, to reorient yourself and your attention on Jesus Christ. Retired people, what excuse do you have? I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time. Look, I can guarantee you that if you ask every retired person in here, do you regret praying too much when you were younger? None of them would say yes. None of them would say yes. Challenge is simple. Okay, this is, there's no other way. You have to connect with God in prayer. This is how we, we, this is how we communicate with God. This is how we ask God to Fill us with his power to show himself to us. I mean, there's so many things that we complain about in life. You know, why isn't this going my way? Why can't I get, you know, get, this, get to here? Why am I not growing in my faith? All these things we wonder about and sometimes you know, grumble about. Well, my first question to you would be, how long have you been asking God for this? 
you know? And that doesn't mean that you're going to get it. <laughs> doesn't mean you're going to get exactly what you want. But God will show himself to you as a good father. That's the important thing. The most important thing that you can get out of prayer is being reminded about who God is. And about who you are, his child. I mean, there's, there's nothing you can't get through when you know that. So please take this seriously. That's my challenge to you. Try it for a week. Try it for a week. Just say to yourself, every day this week, I'm going to get up a half hour earlier. And I'm just going to spend time with God. And I'm just going to talk to him. I'm going to ask him to speak to me. I'm going to open his word. And I'm going to see what happens. I promise you, you won't regret it. Let's close in prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for that we have the life of Jesus in, in written word that's been passed on to, to us from generation to generation for thousands of years. We know, God, who you are. You have shown yourself to us. We certainly don't know everything about you, God, because there's so much sin in our life and that clouds our judgment, it clouds our thinking. And, but, God, we know enough. We know enough about you to know that we can't go wrong when we seek you in prayer. We know, God, that you, you will speak to us and you will reveal yourself to us, your true character, your will for our lives. You'll give us, you'll give us clarity and hope and comfort and strength and encouragement. I pray, God, that you would, you would help us to be passionate about seeking you in our lives with a whole heart and knowing you for who you really are. And that as we start this new year together, God, that we would be in the habit of seeking you, seeking, seeking you and searching for you together and not giving up until you speak to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to leave you this morning. You can uh, get back up on your feet and we're going to close the service today with a passage from Romans chapter 8. And I love this passage and what it says about prayer. Please bow your heads with me for the benediction. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. You are dismissed.